good to be here with you uh, this morning. I will say a phrase that I've never uttered in my life before, but it makes my heart full to be uh, with you all. And as Virginia mentioned, we um, are starting a series of talks and conversations. We are calling What the Fuck Would Jesus Do? Um, of course, this is a play on that infamous trend in like, I don't know, late 90s, 2000s of uh, WWJD and people would wear these WWJD bracelets and everyone was really cool doing that. And uh, we've kind of reframed it for ourselves over the past many years. Uh, you might have a tote bag that we made that has that on there. And then we also made actually those WWJD bracelets uh, with WTF on them. And then they were lost and I thought we, we didn't have them anymore. But turns out I found the bag with like 20 of them left. So uh, there's this one and then there is this really ugly, I don't know why we did it, really ugly color one. Um, if you want one, just tell me in the chat and then I'll hit you up and I'll send it to you by mail or something. Um, this is a hot thing. I actually think if like Supreme made these or something, they'd be very popular. But we are doing this series um, because uh, again, we, it feels like right now, uh, a lot of us are looking out the world and asking ourselves, what should we do about this mess we're in? What can we do right now? And if you looked around at social media, and I know many of us have done this, there are no shortage of answers that are being given to us right now. This is the most important thing to do right now, or this is how you should show up for others, or these are the things you are forgetting about when you are mentioning X cause and so on and so forth, right? This constant um, telling us about what we should be doing, what's important, how we should talk, what we should say. I'm blown away by one particular friend of mine who posts these kinds of things relentlessly. Maybe you have a friend like that too. Um, and for your sake, I, I went through their story their stories on Instagram for one single day. And um, these are the posts that I found. So we get first a post that uh, takes issue with the framing of anti-racist language, um, a post from a well-known blogger asking Christians not to vote for Trump and how the debate was terrible, a post about the five mistakes you can avoid that might disqualify you from your mail-in ballots, um, a post about how embracing joy in times of crisis is a, a radical form of self-care, and then another post about voter uh, intimidation. It's a lot of stuff to throw out into the world in one day, in my opinion. And I, I, it's not that I disagree with the content of a lot of these things, um, though I do I think that the one about joy is a little curious when maybe radical self-care is um, stepping away from posting all the time or reading about all the worst things in the world all the time. But uh, the more I see this sort of deluge of information um, given to us in like little snapshots, beautifully designed posts uh, on Instagram or rage-filled angry texts on Facebook or Twitter, I have to wonder like, how are we supposed to real realistically receive all of this stuff, right? Do we, do things actually change um, for the better this way or uh, do people just get worn down and uh, forced into a state of retreat? And social media is undoubtedly the dominant place where our culture receives our instruction these days, for better or worse, on what to do, on how to act, and even, I would say, what to think. Uh, but 
is there a, a different place, a better place we can turn for that kind of instruction? And so Virginia and I were talking about all this and wondering um, if there was a way for us to actually frame this question, this fundamental question about how we should actually live and act in the world today. And as a church, we, of course, generally try to search for such things within our tradition, which just leads us to the WTFWJD question. And Virginia was like, maybe we should uh, look at the Sermon on the Mount as a place to start for this, as to know what Jesus would do. And the Sermon on the Mount, if you're not familiar, it's in the Gospel of Matthew. It's this really long speech and sermon set of teachings that Jesus gives. Um, perhaps, I think it actually is the longest sort of extended monologue from him. And uh, definitely one of the more specific things he says in the Gospels, right? We talked about parables earlier in the summer, which are like mysterious and hard to understand. But the Sermon on the Mount is very direct about what we should do. And so we were like, okay, this is a great place to start. And so I started reading it this week and uh, I started writing down all the teachings I found there one by one. Many of them are famous. You might recognize them, such as the golden rule that's in there. And by my unofficial count, there were 31 different kind of teachings that we get in this sermon. And whether I'm off by a few, it's an unofficial count. Um, that's a lot of things. And I started to actually feel a lot like I do when I'm scrolling through someone's Instagram story that is telling me a million things about what to do in the world, right? This is the most important thing to do right now. Or this is how you should show up for others. Or these are the things you're forgetting about. Uh, I felt that very familiar feeling. And this will sound, um, just some side tangent, I'm not sure, but this will sound very kind of pastor geeky. I'm noticing right now that uh, in this world we're living in with kind of heightened stakes and consequences, a lot of the seemingly bizarre and crazy things Jesus said actually seem to make a lot more sense or have a lot more resonance with us. Um, one example that struck me recently was there's a passage in uh, one of the Gospels where Jesus says, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword, for I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. And one reading of that, you're sort of like, wow, that is like a lot. It's very intense. But these days, you know, a lot of us talk about how wildly conservative our parents are, for example, and what a struggle it is with them to try and uh, change their minds on certain things, right? Or I was listening to a podcast recently of someone um, and they were saying, you know, if your parents won't listen to you about anti-racism stuff and BLM and uh, still want to vote for Trump, you should threaten to basically cut them out of your life until they listen. And I was like, wow, Jesus's words suddenly seem a little less far-fetched to us in this moment. And so similarly, the Bible perhaps is still relevant sometimes. And I am feeling this familiar feeling as I'm reading the Sermon on the Mount, again, the way that I often do as I scroll through someone's feed. And we'll be spending some time talking more about the specifics um, of what the Sermon on the Mount says, but I wanted to just offer a few highlights for us as examples. So we get here in this, um, number one, the Beatitudes, such as blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Uh, there's one that says looking at someone lustfully is just the same as committing adultery. Don't resist evildoers. If someone strikes you on your left cheek, give him the other one. Do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. Love your enemies. You cannot serve God and money. Don't judge others or you will be judged. 
Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. And of course, as I mentioned earlier, in everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. And we're just scratching the surface here, right? These are nine things out of the 31 that I read. And I, I think at least from that, you might get a sense of the feeling I'm describing, right? A sense that maybe some of these things are not very um, realistic, perhaps, or even possible for us to, to do. And we are uh, not alone in these reactions. I am not alone in these reactions. The, the history of interpretation on this text is long and varied, and much of it centers uh, on what Jesus was actually trying to accomplish by telling people to do stuff that seems so impossible and out of reach. I will generalize these interpretive camps in two ways. Uh, there's the camp of perfectionism, and there's the camp that sought to negate that perfectionism. So in other words, some people thought that this was a literal guide for how Christians should live and that people who read it and heard it should try to, again, literally live it out and do what it says. While others thought that the actual point of these teachings was not um, really applicable in the real world or outside of the church walls, or that maybe they were done in such a way that Jesus made them so impossible that we would then recognize just how imperfect we are, and then we would need God's grace in that in instance. I think that we might actually pose uh, this interpretive framework or these questions to the internet as well. Are we actually supposed to be able to do all of this stuff that we're being asked to do all of the time? Or is there some general hope that um, people will perhaps become less shitty when they know all the shitty things that are happening in the world right now? For me, when I read this sermon, um, I feel myself being pulled to examine and pay attention to who it is that I think I am and what is it that I actually do, right? So who do I think I am and what is it that I actually do? Do I think I'm a good person? Do I actually do the things a good person or at least I think a good person would do? Right. We can get, let's get more specific here with this. Do I think that I am someone who believes that power is about uh, inclusivity and grace and bringing people in? And do I behave that way when I'm given a choice in how to use the power that I have? Do I think that I'm an accepting and charitable person? Do I actually refrain from judging others when I meet them? Or I could go on and on in these things. I think uh, we all could go on and on if we thought about this question in this way. Um, but I don't think we actually do. I think a lot of us in general don't think about this relationship all that well. We tend to more kind of just feel it buzzing around in the background for us, right? And I think this is why uh, this is the sort of predominant effect that social media instruction has on us and why it's not always useful. Um, it's so nonstop and, and at the same time addicting that... Um, rather than calling us to self-examination, we just kind of end up walking around feeling vaguely shitty about ourselves for the things that we are not doing all the time. And so this question, right, um, who do we think we are and what are the things we do uh, is being called to the forefront when we examine something like the Sermon on the Mount. The activist Paulo Freire, in a classic book uh, called Pedagogy of the Press, 
This is a book that served as a radical guide uh, for justice work for a lot of people. He writes this, human activity consists of action and reflection. It is praxis, it is transformation of the world. And as praxis, it requires theory to illuminate it. Human activity is theory and practice, it is reflection and action. It cannot be reduced to either verbalism or activism. Neither verbalism or activism on its own. But we, according to him, and I think what I'm getting at in this text, we transform the world when we are intentional about both our reflection and our action. I think the Sermon on the Mount really shines this sort of massive spotlight right in that place, the place where who we think we are and what we actually do now have to look at each other, have to face each each other and actually look at each other. If you think you are as good of a good a person who tries to do the right thing, and then Jesus tells you, hey, uh, being a good person means you know loving your enemies and praying for them, and you're like, um, does that mean I actually have to pray for Trump? <laughs> I really don't want to do that right now. Um, you are faced with the choice to either say, uh, yeah, Jesus is is wrong in asking us to do that, or uh, he didn't really mean that literally or expect us to actually do that or to say very well, like, damn, I don't want to do that. And maybe I'm not as good of a person as I thought I was, right? There's sort of the kind of internal dialogue that happens in that confrontation between, uh, again, who we are and what we actually do. I believe that for me, these teachings were meant to actually be uh, literal or unconditional in that way, um, in the sense that I think they answer for us pretty clearly the question of what would Jesus do? It's right there um, in the text. And for, for me, at least, personally, that means that that is what I should be doing as well, as impossible as that might be. But perhaps, um, and perhaps as we go further into the specifics of the Sermon on the Mount moving forward, I think we'll try to make the case that that's the way that all of us should see it as well. But I'm also struck by the truth that... Um, a list of instructions is a pretty poor way to make the case for a thing or to get people to actually do stuff generally. Um, just bombarding everyone's timeline with all the things to do is probably not the best way to get people to do all of those things. I don't think we become good people by walking around and holding a checklist and glancing up from it, uh, up and down from it as if we were sort of people abroad using a dictionary to try to get by, right? But neither do we uh, become good people because we simply think we are or tell ourselves, tell ourselves we are without actually doing good stuff. Language, I think, is actually a really nice um, analogy here, right? We don't know how to speak a language because we simply think we do. I don't know who does that, but let's imagine that someone does do that, right? We don't... We don't actually speak a language because we tell ourselves we know how to do it, nor do we also know how to speak a language just because we know a certain amount of words of that language or vocabulary there. To speak a language uh, is to embody it in such a way that what we think and what we actually say are co-creative in their action together. I think that uh, the Sermon on the Mount paints a picture for us of what uh, 
should ultimately ultimately be created when reflection and action are co-creative together, right? When they look at each other and they truly come to know each other. And so in its heavy demands, in the heavy demands of its instructions, it forces us into a place where that relationship is revealed to us to be either whole or fractured. And that is the starting point, I think, for all of this questioning about what we should do in the world right now. So in conclusion, right, uh, as we begin this series, this is the beginning of that process of asking this question, what should we do? And for me, um, what asking what Jesus is do is really not the first question we should ask ourselves, despite how we framed this whole series, right? Rather, it is, again, who am I and what do I actually do in this world? Starting from that place in ourselves and in this series, I think we can eventually and hopefully, I pray we do, uh, come to learn a language, a learn a language, a co-creative endeavor that speaks and proclaims the good that we want to be and the good that we want to do at the same time. I hope you will join us for the next four weeks as we uh, hope to get there together. Amen.